Thank you. All right. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, you could open up to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We have made it through chapter 1. So in studying through 1 Timothy, we're looking at some instructions to the church by looking at Paul's instructions to a pastor of a church and trying to answer the question, okay, well, what can we learn from Paul's instruction to Timothy on what we need to be doing as a church? And by and large, chapter 1 was basically just a huge introduction to the rest of the letter. The main idea that we saw is that Paul is charging Timothy to protect the church's doctrine and the church's devotion. Make sure that you are using the law lawfully. When you do that, it's a good thing. And then we saw in verse 12 how that overflowed into this thankfulness, and we saw this devotion to Christ Jesus. And Paul describes his salvation, describing himself as the foremost of sinners. And so he tells Timothy in verse 18, I am entrusting this charge to you. Fight the good warfare. So now we're picking up in uh, chapter 2. We're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 3. This is a really thick section, and I didn't want to just blow through this because there's some really good things here to unpack. And especially next week, it kind of flows into verse 4, and we're going to continue, and there's a lot of really good stuff there too. So I'm going to uh, just go ahead and read verses 1 through 3. Uh, Pray for us, and then uh, we'll unpack it together. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Let's pray. God, as we read your word, Would you instill it into our hearts? Would you burn it into our minds, into our souls? Father, cause us to cherish your word. Cause it to bear fruit in us a hundredfold what is sown. Father, we love you. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, what we're going to look at today, this section, really this whole paragraph, and then even leading into verse 8 in the next paragraph, he's talking about prayer, okay? So today, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you five aspects of prayer that I see just in these first three verses, okay? Five aspects of prayer to kind of guide our discussion. Starting in verse 1, we see the very uh, first, the first four words there at the very beginning, first of all, then, So everything preceding this, I've already kind of said this is an introduction. He gets to chapter 2, he finishes the charge, hey Timothy, I'm going to give you this charge. Blah, 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 chapter 2, okay, let's begin. First things first, that's basically what he's saying there, okay? So everything preceding this is an introduction, but this also kind of gives us our first aspect of prayer. The first aspect of prayer that we see in this passage is the value of prayer, Where do we see prayer's value here? Well, first of all, in the fact that this is Paul's priority. Of all the instructions he's going to give, this is the very first thing. First of all, then. He could have given a ton of other things first, but he chose prayer. And not only is it first, but if you keep looking, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made. So it's not just a recommendation. 
It's not just, first of all, pray. It's, I urge that these prayers are to be made. There's a guy, he's dead now, but he wrote several books on prayer. His name is E.M. Bounds, and he said this once. The secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. The secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. And I think he's right. That's the secret to our success. We will fail when we become prayerless. When we're prayerless, we are taking the reins in our hands, we are using our strength and our muscles, and we are trying to pull the sled along with us. But whenever we pray, we say, God, I need you to do what only you can do. That's when mountains move. Okay? So... Prayer is extremely valuable, and you see that first in his priority. But here's the second place you see it in this passage. Fast forward uh, down a little bit to verse 3. It says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So kind of falling in with this theme of doctrine and devotion, there's a doctrine called the aseity of God. It's not a word you're probably going to hear often. In fact, the document kept trying to correct my spelling of it. I triple-checked it. It's right. It just doesn't have it in there. It's A-S-E-I-T-Y. What this means is the aseity of God, he's ase, he is completely self-sufficient. God doesn't need anything outside of himself to be God. Why, would, why is this important? Why is this an important doctrine to hold? Imagine if God was dependent upon something other than God. What if God was dependent upon us? There are some theologians today that say this. It's called open theism. Okay? Uh, Pinnock and Clark wrote a book on open theism basically saying God is infinitely knowledgeable. However, he doesn't really know what we're going to decide. Because if he did, then we don't really have free will. So as we make decisions, God's knowledge is growing. Okay? So God's knowledge is dependent upon what we do. But the aseity of God, and I think Scripture teaches us, God's knowledge doesn't grow. It is based on the fact that he's God alone. Now, what does this have to do with our conversation here? God is self-sufficient, but he's also self-pleasing. He is self-satisfied. He is satisfied completely in himself. If he existed just in himself for eternity, he would need nothing else to be satisfied. This God is pleased when you pray. Think about that. God doesn't need anything. He's, he's pleased just in himself. This God is pleased when we pray. What does that mean about prayer? It must be pretty stinking valuable. If that God is pleased when we pray, prayer must be valuable. So that's the first aspect of prayer. He says, first of all, then I urge, let's see what he urges. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people there in verse one. So we see the second aspect of prayer. We have the value of prayer. Now we have the versatility of prayer. Okay. Versatility of prayer. Here in this verse, we see 
a few different types of prayers, and it's better to think of this as maybe aspects of prayer than types of prayer. Because if you think about it as types of prayer, we're going to think, okay, I'm going to pray a prayer of supplication, and then that's just it. And I, okay, well, I'm going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving, and then that's just it. And that's okay, but I think it's more helpful to think of this as different aspects of prayer, because more times than not, your prayers will include most or all of these things, or they, they should. So there's four words that he uses. The first one is supplication. This one, when it's used in Scripture, sometimes it's interpreted request. Okay? It's, it's sometimes interpreted prayer. Sometimes it's interpreted request. This is just simply asking for something. When it's used, it's someone saying, God, would you, and then fill in the blank. The second one, prayers, is usually used of prayer generally. When Scripture is talking about just prayer in general, any kind of prayer, that's the word here. So it's similar to the word vehicle used to describe a truck or a car. It's just prayer in general. The third one, intercessions, is also interpreted prayer in some locations, but this specific word here is when prayer is made on behalf of someone else. Speaking to a middleman for the benefit of another. And then the last one here, thanksgivings. And this is an expression of emotion. In this case, an expression of thanks. Okay? So this is just four examples. And when we see these types of prayers, we shouldn't walk away thinking, okay, so there's four prayers. I think if you walk away, that, that's an improper understanding of this. Rather, we should walk away from this thinking, Okay, so prayer is more than just asking God for something. Prayer is a lot more than just, hey God, would you, thanks, the end. Prayer is giving thanks to God. In fact, I was moved, um, there was some time ago I was reading several of Paul's letters. He does this with different people where he says, I thank my God for you. I thank my God for your faith. I'm moved in my prayers when I remember you in my prayers and I'm filled with thanksgiving. So there's different aspects of prayer. And it would be a shame if we only ever highlighted one of these in our prayers. This might be a good personal exercise for us if you were to look at this. Which of these types of prayers do you tend to hover around the most? Where do you need to spend more time in order to balance out the power of your prayers? So as we get to the end of this verse, we see the the different types of prayers here, the versatility, supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. And I'm going to stop right there. So here's our third aspect of prayer, the range of prayer. So we've got value, versatility, the range of prayer. In the Greek, the word here that's translated All means all. (laughs) So simple, right? All. I urge, pray for all people. And then he gives us descriptions. He's like giving, uh, he's defining it for us. What does it mean to pray for all people, Paul? Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Why would he include that there like that? I think Paul is anticipating this thought. 
pray for all people, even these people? So he says, pray for all people. Let me give you an example. Kings and those in high positions of authority. It would have been hard for the church in this age to do that because those are the people that's persecuting the church. Those are the people that's persecuting the church. So in effect, what he's saying is, pray for all people, especially the ones you can't stand. Okay? Pray for all people, even kings. Yes, even corrupt kings. Yes, even corrupt kings who are seeking to put you to death. Yes, even all the high-powered governing authorities that work for this corrupt king that are seeking to put you to death. Yes, pray for them. And not just, God, I pray you would grab a hold of them because they're dumb. We all think it. That's not what he's talking about. He wants you to intercede for these people. You pray on their behalf for their good. Make requests to God on their behalf. God, I pray that you would bless them financially this year because they're having a hard time. We all pray this for people we know and love. How often do we pray this for our enemies? That's what it's talking about here. Yes, even those people. Yes, even all of the politicians in our federal government. There is no discrimination when it comes to prayer. Prayer for others is a sign of love for others. Let me show you where I'm I'm not just making this up from the book of Second Opinions. This is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You should be tremendously familiar with this passage, very famous. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about loving our enemies. He says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I want to just pause there and make sure we're getting that reasoning. We need to love and pray for our enemies because God does good things for good people and for bad people. That's what Jesus is saying. Go back and look at the verse. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on who? The evil and on the good. And he sends rain on who? The just and on the unjust. So he continues, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We don't act towards our enemies like the rest of the world does. 
Now, our flesh pulls us in that direction, if we're honest, if I'm honest. Mine does. When someone wrongs me, my flesh says, be bitter. Be bitter. The Spirit says, pray for them. Pray for their good. And that's what God's Word says. So we see the range of prayer. There's no discrimination when it comes to prayer. When we love our enemies and pray for our enemies, even though they do us harm, we are doing what God does. But that's not it. There's something else that happens leading us to our fourth aspect. We've got value, versatility, and then we've got range. Number four, the result of prayer. The result of prayer. So he urges, I urge that supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So look at the language. It's so funny to me, reading through scripture, when I grew up, I hated English. I hated it. For you people who are English people, that is terrific. I wish I was that way. I'm just not that way. And I wish... I'd paid more attention to specifically the names that we give to different parts of speech because they're so important. This simple word, that, tells me this. What follows is the result of something. If I say, hey, I should work out so that I am in good physical shape. The good physical shape is the result of working out. So that tells me that. Same thing here, but we pass over it when we read in the Scripture sometimes. He urges that we should pray for all people, then you have a comma and there's this clause there, and then he continues, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Prayer, the result of prayer, it does more than move God to act. Prayer moves us. Prayer moves us. Prayer transforms the way that we act. I urge that prayer be made for all people, that you may be peaceful and quiet and godly and dignified. John, I'm going to butcher this last name, Anwachekwa wrote a book on prayer. Really, really good. Okay, If you want it, come see me and I will show you. Um, real cheap as part of a series that uh, Nine Marks did. It's very, very good. And he wrote specifically on prayer in the local church, but I think it applies to us here also. He says this, The local church takes the theory of Christianity and makes it tangible in love, deed, and especially in prayer. So in our prayer, our prayer results... Because we claim to be Christians, we are little Christs, is what that means. I'm a little version of Jesus. So as a Christian, when I pray, it results in my Christ-likeness becoming more tangible. It affects me. Notice what this passage doesn't say. I urge then that supplications, prayers, thanksgivings, all these things be made to God so that you'll get what you ask for. That's not what it says. 
It says, pray so that you may lead a peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified life. This is one of the results of prayer. When we are prayerless, here's what we should expect. Anxiety. Stress. Outbursts. Moments where you just lose it. You just can't keep it together in that moment. You you just can't keep everything from falling apart. Embarrassment. When we are prayerless, that's what we should expect. Why? Because when we pray, we are trusting God with those things that we can't handle. We're saying, God, I need you to handle this in a way that I cannot. And that's why I'm coming to you in prayer. And when we do that, and God takes those weights off of our shoulders, what's the result? Well, now suddenly, instead of anxious, I'm peaceful. Strange. Suddenly, instead of always just spouting out before I can control it, suddenly I'm quiet and dignified. I'm controlled. It's because of prayer. What about praying for your enemies? Have you ever noticed... It is really hard to hate someone that you're praying for on a regular basis. It's very difficult. You think I'm wrong? Try it. It's very difficult to hate someone you're praying for on a regular basis. Prayer changes us. It moves us. When we pray for our enemies, we will usually stop lashing out at them, physically or verbally. We will lead more quiet, godly lives. Find me someone who is constantly speaking ill of someone, a group or an individual, and I'll show you someone who isn't praying for their enemies. You know the biggest place I see this? Politics. Politics. We always... We always slam everyone in our government. But how often are we praying for their good? Not that they would be removed from office. Just for their good. That's what he's talking about. That's the context here. Literally, he's talking in the context, pray for all people. Kings and all who are in high positions. That's what that is. And I think this is because we just get so frustrated. If only they weren't in office and it was someone else. The answer is not who's in office. That's not the answer. The answer is the gospel. The gospel changes people. The gospel changes nations. That's the answer. So instead of getting worked up and lashing out in our words... We will be much more godly and dignified and quiet and peaceful if we pray more for these people. All people. Here's the last aspect. So we got value, versatility, range, result. Here's the final one. The reason for prayer. The reason. I couldn't do all of these. It was too difficult. The reason for prayer. Look at verse 3. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I hate stopping mid-sentence. 
So when we pick up next week, I'm going to come back into verse 3 a little bit and grab some of that to help us interpret verse 4. But it's good and pleasing. This is the reason for our prayer. This is why we do this. We hit on this a little bit in value, but now we see that it's also motivation, not just value. It is a motivator. Prayer is good and pleasing to God. Therefore, do it. There's a quote, and uh, I've tried looking it up. Others have tried looking it up. It's hard to say for sure where it originated. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is just what a Christian does. My identity as a Christian should motivate or urge us to pray. It's just who we are. I serve the God who loves prayer. Who says, this is good and it pleases me. So how should this understanding of prayer manifest itself in our lives? I've got four ways that we can apply this based on these, these aspects. Number one, we must value prayer more. Knowing that prayer pleases God should motivate us to pray more. We have a reason to do it. It's immensely valuable. So why do we not do it? We should value prayer more. You have instant access. We are in some building that man built so many years ago that's been here a fraction of Earth's existence. Of all places, to be able to reach God, surely this shouldn't be it, but it is. Even better than that, I can walk out of this building just into the front lawn and kneel right there and still have access to God. I can go overseas and have access to God. I can go in my closet and have access to God. We have the access. I think it's that we don't value it enough. And I am coming to you as an equal. We don't value it enough. Let's value prayer more. Number two, we must broaden our types of prayer. We need to broaden, utilize the versatility, broaden our types of prayer. Do you feel like that you're always just requesting things from God? God, would you please do this, and then would you do this, and then uh, also this, and, uh, and, then, and then do this? In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe add thanksgiving and praise to your prayer. God, thank you that I have AC in the middle of summer. Thank you that I have clean water. Thank you for my family. Maybe you say, well, Garrett, I've got a son that's turning against the Lord and I just can't be thankful for him. First of all, then, I urge that thanksgivings be made for all people. Prayer shows no discrimination. Do you feel like you're always just saying, thank you, God? Thank you for this, and thank you for this, and thank you for this, and thank you for this. Amen. Add intercession to your prayer. Look for others who have needs and pray for those needs. 
if you have to, set a goal. That's not unspiritual to set a goal. Say, when I pray, I am going to intercede for one person every time, period. That's not wrong. That's great. That's intentional. If I set a goal to text my wife daily, I want to text my wife one time every day in the middle of the day at a random point to make sure she knows that I'm thinking about her. She's not going to be offended if I say, yep, I love you so much, I set a reminder so that I can make sure not a single day goes by without me texting something to you. I guarantee you that is not what she's going to be like. Oh, I'm going to be the best husband in the world. That's just how it goes. Okay? Not really. My wife is so gracious. Um, (laughs) Intentionality does not mean that you're suddenly robotic. That means you care that much. I'm going to be intentional. Broaden your type of prayer. Utilize the full scope of prayer, not just a tiny little portion. Number three, we must pray without discrimination. The temptation with prayer is to pray with and to pray for those people whom we love the most or are the closest to. That's just our temptation. It makes sense. We all do this. That is discrimination. That is prayer discrimination. We need to truly begin praying for all people. Not just their salvation, but above all their salvation. But their well-being, their success. God, make them successful. God, fix their problems. For our enemies, we need to be praying for those things. And then number four, we need to live out our prayer. This means that we trust God whenever we give him something that's making us anxious. We trust him with that and say, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm not going to be anxious about that because I've given it to you. And the result of that is that in your life, you will be less stressed and you will be more godly and peaceful in that. People will see that and they will say, why is so-and-so always just so peaceful? They always think everything is going to work out. doesn't mean you're optimistic. It means you trust God. That's, that's what that means. I just trust God. It means treating others in a manner consistent with the way that you pray for them. So don't pray for your enemy's well-being, but then treat them like dirt. You treat them the way that you pray for them. When we live out our prayer, we will be peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified. If you are not one or more of those things, prayer is one of the problems. One of the problems is prayer. Jesus, when he died for us, he opened up a door for us to have access to the Father. That is the gospel. And because of the gospel, we can pray. So let's pray a lot. Amen? Amen. Let's pray now. Father, if I'm honest, coming before you now, it is so easy for me to be dependent upon my own strength and ability to carry me through every day. It is so easy for me to depend upon my wife and my kids to feel valued. It's so easy for me to depend upon my paycheck to feel secure my house to feel provided for. Father, it is so easy for me to not be dependent upon you. 
And I know, Father, in my flesh that when I feel I'm not dependent upon you, I will not come to you in prayer. Father, we don't want that to be true of us. We want to be a people of prayer. We want to be a house of prayer. We want to be dependent upon you for all things. We want to come to you on behalf of all people. Father, right now we come to you on behalf of our government, state, local. Father, that you would bless them, give them success in the things that they are seeking to do. Provide for them in a way that they cannot provide for themselves. Do this in such a way that they see that it's you that's taking care of them. That they may come to understand that you are the sovereign God of the universe. You are the one that causes the sun to shine, that sends the rains. Father, for us, would you make us into a godly, peaceful, quiet, dignified people? Make us into a people of prayer. Make us successful in our prayer. Answer our prayer. Save people because of our prayer. Use us because of prayer. Give us a good summer camp in VBS because of our prayer. Drive us to our knees in prayer, Father. We love you. We're so grateful that you have made prayer possible for us because of your Son and his death on the cross in our place. Thank you, thank you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, church, uh, another update I guess is appropriate, so.